Hello, thank you again for joining us. My name is Mary Tarsha, and again, I have here Dr. Darsha Narvaez. Thank you, Dr. Narvaez, for being here today. You're welcome. And today we're talking about something that has uh, been present in, in our era now for uh, several months and weeks. We're talking about the issue on the border of separating children from their parents, as we see uh, prospective immigrants um, are being separated from their children. And we're talking about the psychological effects of what happens when you separate children from their caregivers. So uh, thank you, Dr. Narvaez. So how, how would you begin in uh, talking about this very relevant issue for today? Sure. Uh, I'm happy to talk about this. It's really a critical uh, issue for today's world. Let me just say that... Um, that sometimes it's the primary caregiver isn't a parent. It might be hmm. a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or even a, a friend or somebody. So oh, sure. you really have to. So what I'll talk about is primary caregivers rather than a parent hmm. in my discussion. So I think we have to step back a little bit and understand what human beings are, who we are, and what do we need to grow and flourish. Uh, we're animals. We need nourishment and warmth. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, that means food, we need to be kept warm and in shelters, but that's hardly enough to be uh, to grow Absolutely. well. That's to keep you alive. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. So we are mammals, and mammals need lots of affection. That means lots of touch, positive touch, and play, playing with others uh, so in self-directed ways. But we're also social mammals, which means we need bonding with a community. Not only with that primary caregiver, but with others who uh, make us feel like we belong, like we're accepted and loved and appreciated. Uh, Interesting. Wow. Yeah, so these are all things that are important um, in order just to not only survive, but to develop well and to flourish. And it applies here because before we can begin talking about being separated as a child from a caregiver, we need to be talking about what what infants need, what humans need. Yes, and um, the, and if we zero in on early childhood, that's zero to six, essentially, mm-hmm. we're really constructed or co-constructed by the caregiving experience or the caregiving environment we experience. So we're, our biology is constructed by our social environment. Mm-hmm. And then later, as we express our social capacities, they are reflective of how well our biology was constructed during I'm, those early years. That is so profound. I mean, that is just a jam-packed statement, right? That we are biosocially constructed. So it, it's not in a vacuum, but that experience really influences our biology for years to come. That's right. So we have to pay attention then to those early days, months, years of a child's life because they are actually put, putting them on a trajectory towards better or worse health. And so when you undermine that early experience for these things I'm going to talk about, then you're kind of undermining who they're going to be for the rest of their lives. Wow. They'll have problems with wow. their immune system or they'll have depression or anxiety because they had the rug pulled out from under them in early childhood. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So then we, we talk about uh, what is it that humans really need. Well, mm-hmm. we have a nest like all animals. Uh, all All animals have a nest that evolve to optimize normal development. We call that a Mm -hmm. developmental system. Mm -hmm. And so if you provide this developmental system, you're going to have a very good outcome. You'll have a normal outcome for that species, and you'll have a smart and effective creature. Mm -hmm. 
And for us, we have the Evolve Nest, which we talk about in different shows um, on our kind of uh, podcast mm-hmm. here. But we let do. me go through the nest. For young children, we study this in my lab because it's so vital for how that life course is going to go for that child uh, for uh, for the rest of their lives, right? So, And as you've reiterated before, it's... This is a nest, but what we're talking about are these things that are most critical in order to develop properly and have a child flourish, but it's provisioned by the community. So that means that it's provided by everyone involved. It's not just putting more emphasis on what mom or dad or that one primary caretaker should do, right? That's right. So it involves having a soothing perinatal experience. Mm -hmm. That means mom is supported and feels relaxed during pregnancy. Uh, because if she doesn't, there's all sorts of things that can uh, misdirect Absolutely. development. Mm-hmm. And then it means that at birth, uh, it's a soothing birth experience. It's not one that's stressful, that separates the baby from the mother, that introduces painful procedures and things like that. So that's one, the birth and perinatal experiences. Another one is touch. We need <laughs> touch to grow well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's affectionate touch, not punishment, not corporal punishment, which actually, again, misdirects development mm-hmm. in various ways. So touch, then responsiveness, meeting the needs of that young child promptly before they get upset, distressed. Mm-hmm. So you follow their signals of their face or their voice or their wiggling before <laughs> they start crying. And then there's breastfeeding. Uh, we're called mammals because of the breastfeeding. Mammary glands provide uh, species-typical milk. That's uh, for us. It's a thin variety of milk, which means it's supposed to be ingested frequently because it's full of hormones and all the building blocks of a good brain and body. And so we, our babies expect to be nursed frequently, two or three times an hour initially when they're very young. Their stomachs are so tiny. And our species uh, expects to be breastfed for two to five years on average, Mm. according Mm -hmm. to the studies that have been done around the world, looking at small band hunter-gatherers. They're the kind of society that represents our our history, 99% of human history. Yeah, so fascinating. And then uh, alloparents or allomothers, it's not just mom, as you've mentioned already, that cares for the baby, but other adults, fathers, grandmothers in particular, that are also providing the touch and responsiveness and the soothing kind of experience babies need to grow well. Mm-hmm. And then there's play, uh, so, uh, social, self-directed free play in the natural world with lots of other, uh, with different age playmates. And that also grows the, the individual's brain and body well. These are, all these um, characteristics are neuroscientifically shown to matter for mm. mammal development. And then finally, the social support, feeling highly socially embedded in a community that uh, offers you a sense of belonging, a sense of appreciation, and where you can be yourself. So let me just mention them quickly again. So soothing perinatal experiences, positive touch and affection, responsiveness, breastfeeding, allo mothers or allo parents, social free play, 
and social support. And that can seem overwhelming when you hear all of them together. But when you're reminded that this is a community that is coming together, that is caring for the needs of this child, then it becomes uh, much more understandable, right? And an experience where um, the needs of the child are being met from many people surrounding that child. So then they grow up feeling, as you said, very deeply embedded within society and and connected, um, and their needs are very satiated going forward. So when their basic needs are met, then their body and brain develop well. Mm -hmm. And these are all, all these factors are related to self-regulatory systems that come online that are setting their parameters, setting how they're going to function in early life during different sensitive periods. Mm Mm-hmm. And one of these systems is, um, well, let's just talk about touch. One of the components is touch. So when you separate a mom and a baby or a a caregiver and a child, that child's not going to get the touch they need. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when you separate a mammal baby in particular, but also children, it's going to dysregulate multiple systems causing lifelong changes really in stress responsiveness, causing deficits that will contribute to violent and antisocial behavior, and also to depression, uh, even later in life. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, because when we're talking about separating a child from the caregiver, I mean, this is immediately just a no-brainer, right, of what they're going to be deprived of in this physical closeness and affectionate touch. And the literature is, you know, just very converging on this, right? We see this over and over again in different studies, both um, human studies and in animal studies, that when you're depriving physical touch, you're, you're really, it's having effect neurobiologically for years to come. Yes, and we know that when you're separated from your mother as a baby, your pain responses increase. Uh, Your endogenous opioids, those things that make you feel good that are internal to your body that actually are fostered by touch and being with your parents, those things diminish. Your oxytocin, which is the so-called cuddle hormone, (laughs) decreases. And so if these things happen during a sensitive period, it, it can have lasting epigenetic effects on that child. So, for example, we know if in the first six months you need lots of touch, affectionate touch, during the sensitive period for turning on the controls of anxiety. Oh, yes. If you don't get enough touch at the right times in the right way, you are likely to have an anxiety, anxious uh, personality for the rest of your life because you can't unless you take drugs. Unless you take drugs, right? I was you can't about deal to with say, it. yeah, right. You have to be medicated, right, in yeah. order to control that anxiety. Unfortunately, right. and yeah. so you find the ways to medicate yourself, and you know, drugs and alcohol and other things, mm-hmm. addictions. Right, and that all goes back to that physical closeness and affectionate touch. Right, yep. and we know it affects uh, this. Close physical positive touch affects your stress response, your immune system, your endocrine systems, such as the oxytocin system, neurotransmitters, how many you have, how well they function, that serotonin is one of those that's linked to intelligence, but also Mm well-being, and the emotion systems and various other things um, are affected that can be um, undermined if you're separated or don't have enough touch. Mm. And the child who's not provided with the nest feels very deep down that something's not right. The feeling uh, of what the child should 
uh, have a sense of, was well described by Jean Leidloff in The Continuum Concept, a book she wrote after she was sort of an accidental anthropologist (laughs) uh, and tried to contrast what's going on, why are these kids here in this Amazon jungle so happy and so well, and the adults are so happy and, you know, healthy, and I go home to the States, and boy, everyone's unhappy and sick. Oh, isn't that interesting? Oh, my gosh. And this is what she says. The feeling appropriate to an infant in arms is his feeling of rightness or essential goodness, Mm. the premise that he is right, good, and welcome. Without that conviction, a human being of any age is crippled by a lack of confidence, a full sense of self, of spontaneity, of grace. Oh, my goodness. What a quote. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Mm. So when we undermine nest provision, all those characteristics that I mentioned, and we're focusing here on touch, that child's sense of confidence and well-being in the world is undermined. And she talked about that babies were meant to fall asleep in arms, in someone's (laughs) arms, to be carried around Mm. all day long, right? Sleeping, awake, whatever it is. And that gives you this sense of rightness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just even in that quote, you see a full sense of self, of confidence, of spontaneity, of grace. Yeah, very, very profound. And um, you can just see that when the child is being held and cuddled, um, in that right ordered relationship, responsive parenting, that that is really there as a foundation for the rest of his life. Yeah. So sensitive responsive care in general provides a sense of um, of well functioning kind of psych- psyche and physiology. So what do we mean by responsive care? It's that synchrony between you and the child, the adult and the child, where you're able to communicate back and forth and understand each other's nonverbal communications and coordinate to get along well and have this sense of kind of being connected with this external umbilical cord. Hmm. You co-regulate one another, and that's what we mean by responsive care. Almost like a dance, right? Yes, an interpersonal dance is a nice way to say it. And so for both of these, responsiveness and positive touch are affecting various physiological systems, including how well the vagus nerve works. It's the 10th cranial nerve that's connected to all the major systems of the body, cardiac system, respiratory, immune system, emotional systems, digestive systems. And these are um, critical connections because, and they're established in early life. If they don't, if you don't have the responsive and affectionate care, this nerve can be mis- or underdeveloped. And so any one of these systems can be dysregulated as a result. Mm -hmm. I think you might talk about this later, but also the social engagement system, right? How the vagus nerve is um, very much part of that social engagement system. So when you have um, undercare in early life and you have a compromised vagus nerve, the 10th cranial nerve, then that really hinders you uh, for the rest of your life going forward and how you engage with others um, and the ease and with which you engage with others. Right. And so um, it's vagal tone, which is what we call it when the vagus nerve is functioning well. If you have a good vagal tone, it allows you to be intimate with others because mm-hmm. you're able to calm yourself down. Uh, keep the parasympathetic, I'm sorry, the sympathetic system from taking over or the parasympathetic mm-hmm. system. And instead, the social engagement capacities are there. And so you can respond to others in intimate ways, but also with compassion if they're in distress or need. Mm-hmm. 
And one of the critical things that's happening in these early years is the right hemisphere development. And that's uh, zero to three in particular. Uh, and these are, uh, the right hemisphere um, is, many things are right lateralized in those early years. So the vagus nerve, for example, uh, related to self-regulation, self-control. And there's so many systems that are involved in this. We kind of talk at the very general level here. But they all contribute to your ability to be who you are as your um, unique self and your uh guided by your intuitional, well-developed intuitions and emotions, being able to be empathic towards others, to be present in the moment, to be receptively intelligent so you can pick up signals from others. All these things are uh, governed initially, at least, by the right hemisphere, and that needs to develop well in those early years. Yes, and, and what you're saying is that the right hemisphere, as we're saying, is dominant in the early years, meaning that the right hemisphere, there's more development in the right side of the brain that is taking place, that is controlling all of these very important aspects of empathy and beingness and um, receptive intelligence and higher consciousness compared to the left side, which will then develop later on in life. So, right. Right. Throughout childhood is the right hemisphere that should be dominating. That means um, the, because that's the t time period for it to be developing from experience, so mm -hmm. whole body experience. Left hemisphere is more of that conscious mind, that intellect that we, um, we educate in school. That's fine for adolescents, but before then it really... As much as possible, you want to have your child immersed in whole body experiences. Yeah, it's so important. So important. So what happens if uh, you're undermined in early life from under care, your survival systems that you're born with, which are integrated with a stress response, take over easily your mind and control how your whole brain functions. They kind of just wipe out your ability to think very well, think very openly, think very um, uh, good-heartedly. And uh, those things can... Um, then undermine who you are. You're almost conditioned to be stress-reactive hmm. and then um, go into this fight, flight, fight, freeze, faint, or anger, mm -hmm. fear, mm -hmm. panic easily. Yeah, these survival systems, right. Yep. They're, they're very activated when um, that undercare is provided or in this situation, the separation from the parent, from the caregiver, then you're going to have an increase in the stress response and um, an undermining of right, here, right hemisphere development leading to this exaggerated um, and exponentiated uh, fight, flight, freeze, faint. That's right. And so then this will display itself as being very, you, you'll uh, have a personality that's more oriented to being opposed, socially oppositional, distrustful of others, mm. or just withdrawn in fear and passivity and kind of shut down to try to, and in both cases, you're trying to feel safe. And because your brain didn't develop properly, you, you only know this way of of functioning, either dominating and opposing and, you know, uh, standing on the hill uh, over others sure, sure. or withdrawing and hiding out of fear. And so you've, when you separate a child from a parent or a caregiver, you are in effect encouraging this kind of personality to develop. And you can see it's very easily this fight or social oppositionalism is really, you can see it in uh, terrorists mm -hmm. who have been uh, traumatized in their own childhoods and then grow up to uh, take on a perspective of the world that they're going to defeat those 
people who hurt them. The enemy, the enemy, right? Right. Yes. Whoever they're told the enemy is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that will vary by culture and by what kind of environment you put yourself into. But you will take up an enemy, and you will want to defeat that enemy, mm. and you'll be always oriented to enemies and crisis. This is not our heritage as human beings. Our heritage is to be cooperative with others, to be open and hospitable to others, wherever mm. they're from. Mm. Mm. Right. So then what we see is you're talking about both of these different reactions, being uh, having behavior that's socially oppositional or socially withdrawn, that basically these are two outcomes or two types of behavior that, that stem kind of from a similar trajectory, right? A similar developmental path with undercare. Yeah. That's right. And so I think we have to be cautious now when we think about separating children from parents, no matter where they are, if they're going to jail, if they're at the border, if they're uh, even wherever you are in the society, Mm -hmm. whatever level, any community, if you separate that child from the parent, expect trauma. Mm -hmm. And we should avoid trauma. Even with high SDS, too, with high social economic status. No matter who you are, young children especially, but... Throughout childhood, we need to be with our caregivers. We need lots of affection. We need responsiveness. And putting kids into uh, jail or Mm -hmm. camps or tents Mm -hmm. by themselves without their caregivers is highly traumatic. Highly traumatic, right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Narvaez. It's really helpful to um, explain to us the effects of separating a child from the caregiver. Thank you again for joining us, and we look forward to being with you next time.